Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Where are we listening? How are we listening? This is Quantum of History. I'm your host, Don Waldron. Today's going to be episode 8. We're going to be talking about Octopussy. Um, when we're going to be talking about the Berlin Wall. It's going to be a really good topic. I got a really good guest on today. Um, a guy by the name of Jason Kim. I actually met him at Operation Snowfall up in Toronto. It was Sunday morning and it was just after we were done with all the events. We were at the buffet line at the uh, Omni Hotel. And I saw Edgar and Matt from the James Bond Complex. And I was just wanted to shake their hand and say, you know, I'm a fan, big fan of their work. And uh, while I was there, there was a guy, Jason, who was hanging out with them, who was actually their third contributor on their podcast now. And we got to talking, and it turns out he's from Baltimore, and I'm living in Baltimore. And we talked for a little bit, briefly exchanged uh, Instagrams, and then uh, we've been DMing and talking ever since. He's become a good friend. He's a really interesting guy. He's real traveled. And, you know, those are the type of people I love having on this podcast. Guys who are interesting, who have done things, who are, in, who are learners, who are people who are intelligent, who go after and seek adventure and seek um, thought. So I really, I'm really excited to have him on today. I think you guys will really enjoy our conversation. Now for the Bond on This Day Award. If you follow my Instagram at Quantum of History, on Instagram I posted a picture of women on all these circus acrobats on ladders. That is for Octopussy and all of her gang. And the ladder is for that for climbing over the Berlin Wall. So um, it was actually the first guy who guessed got it. And this guy is Shamir. And his Instagram is shamrocks underscore shenanigans. Really interesting guy. Really cool post he's got. If you're not following him, follow him. Uh, he follows all the Bond guys. Really cool guy. And uh, like I said, if you're not following him, give him a shout out or give him a follow. So what's been going on since our last podcast? Well... Um, we did the Operation Solitaire for a little bit, and that was really I was really happy to be part of that. It was a lot of fun leading up to it, all the uh, the videos and the memes, and I'm sure everyone was annoyed of my cheesy memes that we, me and Ray were making, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun leading up to it, and it was cool being the new guy um, and being part of the fraternity there, so it was. I really felt welcomed. It was a really cool event. It got cut short for some um, things that are out of our hands, but... Really cool idea. I'm excited for what the future holds. And uh, like I said, it was just a lot of fun, especially even the leading up, making the videos, doing the memes, being part of see what everybody's creative. So there was a lot of work that was put into it. So it was a lot of fun to be a part of, and I can't wait for the next one. But in the meantime, we're going to keep doing our thing, going to keep pushing along. Um, all the panelists, it was really cool to meet all these guys and talk to them on a first-hand basis. All the guys I had been following for a long time. So it was a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to see what the future holds. So with that, I think we're going to get right into the podcast. Um, this is going to be the best titled of all the Bond films. And, and it's going to be Roger Moore's sixth film, good. Octopus. I'm feeling good. Octopus is one of those films where... I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I didn't hate it. Not like, you know, A View to a Kill or some of the other ones where I'm like, oh, this is terrible, or Diamonds. But it definitely didn't grab me. And I gave it on the shelf for like a year before I ever watched it again. Because I had watched all the films from uh, Dr. No all the way up to the top, right in a row. And by the time I got to Octopussy, I, was kind of, I had Roger Moore fatigue for sure. Like I was just kind of sick of watching Roger Moore. He's not my favorite bond by any means i appreciate his movies for what they are but they're not my go-to's so by the time i hit 
you know, Octopussy. I was like, all right, I don't know if I can do any more Roger Moore. And then, you know, View to Kill came and that just stomped it out. But but then I, 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 like I said, I gave it about a year, let it process, and then went back to it. And then I saw it over and over again. And uh, it got better for me, actually. I actually, once I sat down, wasn't so Roger Moore fatigued out and actually gave it another chance on itself, in and of itself. I actually grew to enjoy the movie. It's not in my top 10 or anything like that, but I actually do like the movie. I think it's one of Roger Moore's better movies. The beginning part with uh, Louis Jordan is uh, really cool. I enjoy the Kamal Khan. I enjoy most of the stuff that I... Uh, that I see in the movie, there's a lot of cheesiness, the the suit, and and all the other campy stuff with him in a clown suit. And I remember, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, man, he was in that clown suit forever. And then I saw it again, I'm like he was, most of the movie has nothing to do with it. But for some reason, you know, images gets burned in your head, and uh, they perpetuate as a lie. But it wasn't. And so I grew to enjoy the movie. Um, and I, I will watch it. I haven't watched it recently, actually. So I haven't even watched it recently. So it's it's not it's not the worst movie of all of them, but it has grown on me. Let's just say that Octopussy is set a lot, and they talk a lot about the East and West Berlin in the movie. And I thought, what better time to talk about one of the most one of the staples of communism in the Soviet Union and the Cold War than the Berlin Wall. It was a wall that divided a once dominant nation into two spheres with opposing paradigms. Now, the story of the Berlin Wall begins in 1945 at the Potsdam Conference. Um, if you li- if you listen to the GoldenEye podcast, you know exactly what we're talking about. But just a refresher, there were three conferences during World War II that really shaped how the next 50 years of, of modern history would be played out. And that was the Yalta Conference, the Tehran Conference, and the Potsdam Conference. Now, the Yalta, or the Tehran Conference was where war strategy was discussed, how they actually, the Normandy invasion, that was all devised up in this conference. The Yalta Conference was how they were going to finish the war, and how they were planning on unifying it, and keeping Stalin on board. And then the Potsdam Conference was where everything, the rubble was kind of divided up. But they still, the war wasn't over yet, they still had Japan to fight, so they still needed, the Allied powers still needed to make sessions to Stalin in order to keep him on board. And by this time, the Allied powers had fatigue over the war, and Stalin was pretty much steadily fast in Eastern Europe. By the time the Potsdam Conference comes up, he's got his forces set most of Eastern Europe up to Germany, and he doesn't want to let it go, and he's willing to fight for it. And the Allied powers are not willing to both defeat uh, Germany, defeat Japan, and then have to fight Stalin to get him back out of Europe. So they make sessions and hope that Eventually, Stalin gives it up, but he he does not. He refuses to, and he wants to keep the stranglehold on Eastern Europe that he has. So what was decided at the Potsdam Conference was that Germany was going to be split into four zones. Each would be ran by four separate countries, that being France, Great Britain, the U.S., and the Soviet Union. The capital of Berlin was zoned in the same way. Now, the initial intention was that eventually, as Germany got back on their feet, like uh, Germany would once again become a unified nation. That was the plan. But as time went on, it really became clear that the Soviets were dead set on controlling East Berlin and making them their own. Now, this was in in stark contrast to the rest of Germany, which was thriving under democratic rule. Because remember, at the end of World War I, what the Allied powers did was they punished Germany. They they put tariffs on them. They said, all right, if you're going to do the bad thing again, we're going to make sure you never do it again. So they kind of put them under the thumb. They oppressed them. They kept taking their money. They had to pay for the war. There was all sorts of things that they did that kept Germany in squalor. Well, 
that you can only keep him down for so long. And then Hitler was elected because he gave the Germans hope because they were such in despair. So at the end of World War II, the Allied powers didn't want to do this again. They didn't want to make the same mistake they had just made. So their idea was to split it up and to let Germany come back into the fold by promoting democracy, by promoting economic advances, by promoting that, but also by keeping their human capital. Now, Soviets went with the old way. They viewed East Berlin as fruits of the spoil. All right, They were going to be part of the communism, and they were going to pillage what was left in East Berlin for their own Soviet Union. So they actually went in, they took out industry, they took out machinery, they took out a lot of things that were in East Berlin that were working for a long time, and brought them back to the Soviet Union. This led to a glaring disparity between East and West Berlin. So East Berlin was falling more into economic despair, while West Berlin and the rest of Germany was flourishing. I mean, they had new industry, there were new jobs, and what was happening was a lot of East Berlin was going over to West Berlin and working and coming back, or they were just straight up leaving and leaving East Berlin. This led to one of the biggest fights of the Cold War was this fight for human capital. Now, Germany had made large strides in the war of weaponry. They had a lot of scientists, and it was many of these scientists were left without work or purpose after Germany fell. So the U.S. and the Soviets quickly began pillaging Germany for not only things, but also for human capital, for scientists, for professionals, for intellectuals, all these people with, had a lot to offer. They were leaving East Berlin in droves. It was estimated that 2.5 million East Germans fled the area. The Soviet Union in East Berlin decided they needed to do something about this. So on August 12, 1961, a decree was passed to wreck the Berlin Wall. And under the cover of darkness, trucks came through and actually started tearing up the walls or the streets to West Berlin. And then they set up barbed wire, concrete posts, um, telephone wires, railroad tracks were all blocked. Now understand that the people of East Berlin went to sleep on August 12, 1961, living one world, and they woke up to a completely different world the next day. They weren't allowed to go to West Berlin. They weren't allowed to travel. Family members that they had on West Berlin, they weren't able to see anymore. They weren't able to go to their jobs if they had them on West Berlin. All of a sudden, their entire livelihood was changed overnight by a decree. And in the middle of the night, German soldiers came in and just blocked off an entire half of their own country. So the walls stretched 28 miles within Berlin and another 75 miles outside of the city. And the wall couldn't be a completely impenetrable force because foreign dignitaries, ambassadors, and other persons needed to be allowed to go from East to West Berlin. Now, to facilitate this, checkpoints were put out through the wall. And as the wall grew in size and sophistication, um, these checkpoints became choke points for the flow of humanity. Now, the most famous of these checkpoints was Checkpoint Charlie. Checkpoint Charlie got its name after the NATO phonetic alphabet. Um, the al alphabet is Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, so on and so forth. There was a Checkpoint Alpha, there was a Checkpoint Bravo, and there was a Checkpoint Charlie. Checkpoint Charlie was located in the city of Frederikstadt, and it was actually the site of the only armed confrontation of the entire Cold War. In 1961, an American diplomat named Alan Lechner refused to show East Berlin guards his papers. Lechner claimed that only Soviet personnel are allowed to see his papers. Germans guards refused, and Lechner left and came back with armed U.S. soldiers. So they said, Lechner, you're not coming through. Lechner said, oh, the hell, yes, I am. So then he went and got his buddies. And then they came with reinforced, which was soldiers in military jeeps. Now, tensions grew as Germans continued to deny American access to East Berlin. And as a response to this, 10 M48 tanks positioned themselves at Checkpoint Charlie to ensure American passage. 
Now the Soviets responded by sending three dozen T-55 tanks near Checkpoint Charlie. And on October 27, 1961, 10 of those Soviet tanks drove to Checkpoint Charlie. And they had themselves a little Mexican standoff. The tensions lasted for 16 hours before JFK was able to get to convince Soviet leader Khrushchev to withdraw his tanks. So Khrushchev withdraws the tanks, Americans withdraw the tanks, and again, one of those times in the Cold War where World War III seemed one button away was avoided. And there are many of these throughout the history, but this is one of the was is one of them. It one button, one trigger pull could have started World War III right there. Now the wall did prevent a mass exodus of East Germans, but it didn't prevent everyone. And there are a multitude of stories of people risking it all to scale these fences for freedom. Uh, one pretty haunting. Um, Example happened, the 50th fatality on the wall. On August 17th, 1962, two 18-year-old boys tried to scale the wall. Now, the first guy was able to get over the wall successfully, but the second was not. Peter Fechner was his name, and he was about to climb the wall when guards opened fire on him. Now, after he was wounded, he still kept trying to climb the wall, but the wounds were too much at that point. Uh, he was unable to make it, and his, he had to succumb to his wounds. Now... Onlooker said that Flettner lay there lying on the ground, bleeding out, pleading for help for almost an hour before finally he succumbed to his wounds and, and died right there. And after his death was complete, that's when the guards came and grabbed him and pulled him off the wall. But other than that, they let him sit there and die as an example. For nearly 30 years, the wall became more and more advanced in its functionality. The wall included, you know, elaborate electric fencing, mazing, armed guards, dogs, weaving, a 300-foot dead area, rabid wombats, a moat, alligators, like they had it all. And they had gotten so proficient at making sure that nobody escaped. Now, of course, there still were exemptions, but they had, if you see old pictures of the wall, if you get a chance, Google old pictures and, and look at the links that they did to keep people from scaling that last wall to freedom. That all changed suddenly on November 9th, 1989. Just as quickly on 1961 as their world was changed, in 1989 the same thing. An East German official claimed that relocation between two sides would be allowed. And by now the Soviet, the signs of the Soviet crumbling was, were abound. Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, they all began to break free from Soviet rule. And in East Berlin, protests were mounting at the sputtering East German economy and the oppression that was being felt. The country's leader, Eric Honecker, who had led the country from 1971 to 1989, was forced to resign after having a falling out with um, Gorbachev. In November, 19, in November of 1989, Egon Krenz took over, and he decided that violent oppression of citizens was no longer going to quell these protests. Travel restrictions were re relinquished, and the writing was on the wall, so to speak. People started approaching the wall. Kind of like, you know, a cat goes and t batters a dead mouse to see if it's really dead. As people approached that Berlin Wall, that's what they were kind of checking out to see if there was any going to be any resistance, if there were going to be any soldiers, what was going to happen. And as they approached the wall, they got no resistance. So people started grabbing anything they could and they started destroying the wall. You can see, again, Google, you can see the massive humanity of like young people sitting on the wall and people embracing after having seen each other for a very long time and people taking sledgehammer to the wall and smashing it. And it really is poignant. It's kind of, when you really think about it and really like look at the emotion that goes into it, it's pretty prophetic. So less than a year later, on October 3rd, 1990, Germany was a unified nation once again. And just like that, the Soviet Union was gone. Five decades of tensions, of fear, of spy games, 
of living on the brink of World War III was gone seemingly overnight. So I want to bring in my buddy Jason Kim now. Um, he's actually been to Berlin quite a few times. He knows a lot. He's got a lot of pictures. He's been to Berlin quite a few times. So he can speak about what it looks like today, what he learned while he's in Berlin, and kind of the difference in paradigms between East and West that still are there today. So without further ado, welcome Jason Kim. All right, Jason, it's good to have you on it again today. Um, again, you want to tell us a little about, about yourself? Oh, yes. Uh, hi, guys. I'm, I'm, my name is Jason Kim. I grew up in both Korea and the Baltimore, Maryland area. And currently, I live in the Detroit, Michigan area, working as a vehicle test engineer for the Department of Defense, specifically on howitzer tanks. And I am one of the third co-hosts of the James Bond Complex based out of Montreal. So I'll, you, you guys may or may not hear me on many of the episodes here and there well i'm excited to have you man so what, tell me a little bit about octopussy what, what do you think about that movie octopussy uh it was i think i saw this movie when i was about 10 11 years old i guess that's when you and i were both got into the james bond phenomenon by playing goldeneye yeah exactly. we're gonna have to throw we're gonna have to do a do around yeah I, I use remote minds bro uh remote minds uh, i mean i love the detonator on that on that game as well. A, B, yeah, it's so, over, buddy. Yep. And then Z as well. A, B, or Z, depending <laughs> on if you want. But yeah, so I saw this film for the first... So like, you and I, we probably... Anyone who grew up in the 90s, we got into the James Bond phenomenon through the game of Goldeneye. But around that time is when I used to, I used to go to Blockbuster or Hollywood Video for those old enough to remember those uh, entities. And I used to go to the James Bond section and rent all the Bond movies uh, on a weekly basis. And I never watched them on a chronological order, but one day Octopussy was one of the ones that was available. And I watched, rented it, loved it. I loved it and I watched it again recently. And I'm not, I, I hate doing the forced ranking of James Bond films, but I would say it's about my third, third, depending on my mood, so sometimes my third or sometimes my fourth favorite Roger Moore film. Wow. Oh, you liked it right from the start. See, me, I had to watch it. The first time I watched it, I was like, eh. And then it's grown on me over time. But you were just instantly like, yeah, I'm on board with this movie. Uh, yeah, because like, uh, I watched this in the 90s before Daniel Craig uh, you know, shook the whole world of Bond. So like, when, as a kid, you know, like at the time, Tomorrow Never Dies was the most recent Bond film. But then you know, like, when I started watching, re-watching the older films, I was like, wow, this is... I'm, like, I'm, I'm hooked onto this... Uh, on, onto this film and unfortunately and that, i can't go ahead and that and as like a 10 and 11 year old it's always fun to say octopussy yeah even though i didn't know the slang words at the time <laughs> <laughs> as a middle schooler <laughs> thing about octopussy is uh this was roger's sixth film and you know and now we're at the delay of no time to die which is Ro daniel's fifth film and thing is daniel never actually formally left the role whereas roger actually did leave the role he left the role in 1983 and then that's when they were actually casting new trying to uh, screen test new actors and one of the actors wasn't one of the actors they screen tested was james brolin and he screen tested the from russia with love and meeting with vj scenes and the way i like to say who james brolin is is uh or the way i explain who james brolin is to the modern audience today is 
it's Thanos' father. Josh Brolin. Thanos' dad, of course. <laughs> yes, I was like, so I always tell people, Thanos' dad almost became James Bond. <laughs> and then the reason why he couldn't get the role was not because he was American, but but it was more so because Sean Connery was releasing Never Say Never Again with Kevin McClory, and they wanted an established actor to take to take on Sean Connery instead uh, of well, like a... Well, hopefully there's... Back. Hopefully there's room for a new American uh, to be James Bond one day, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully so. I think you're the better candidate than I am. <laughs> if only, right? One day. Well, that's great. Well, I know that since we've been talking and since we've been friends now, you've been sharing some pictures that you have, and you have some amazing pictures. You're, I know you're a well-traveled guy, and you've actually been to the Berlin Wall. You've actually been to some of these places that we were talking about today. So I just want to get your um, aspect about what you saw, what you experienced, and what you heard while you were there. Uh, this is actually pretty relevant. Is first off, uh, when I was in Berlin, there was a I was there two summers ago, so it was the 35th anniversary of Octopussy. Wow! And then Maud Adams was there, and she was doing a tour at this uh, a Berlin spy museum with the James Bond Deutschland Club. But I wasn't able to get the tickets in time, so I was like, "Oh, I mean, there's next time." And then, but luckily, I was able to meet Maud Adams last last fall in our hometown at Hunt Valley. In the Hunt Valley, Baltimore, Maryland area, and then I got an auto. She signed a picture as well as my Octopussy DVD. I don't have the DVD with me at the moment, so in That's the end, awesome. I th- so in the end, I think it was meant to be that I wasn't meant to see Maud Adams there. I was more meant to see her in my hometown, and That's awesome. I, I was, and you know, touring Berlin, uh, I did almost every tourist thing there possible, and it's a very, it's one of my favorite cities in the in Germany. Sometimes it's Berlin, sometimes it's Munich. It goes back and forth. And Berlin's a lot more modern city, but it's also not as well developed as some of the other cities. And I'll explain that. In that, you got to remember that, just like in the film Octopussy, Berlin was the main divide between Germany, between East and the West. West being the Allied powers, and then East being the com, you know, controlled by communist powers, mm-hmm. and. So the eastern side is the side, because of the Great Divide, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, gentrification or, or, or attempts at gentrification that fail because like, they're trying to make these uh, the east side, eastern sides more pleasant, but that it never kind of built up that way. So that's why the eastern side, has had, the eastern side of Berlin has, has all the best clubs and uh, best rest, the best uh, restaurants, whereas the western side that's where you see the business districts, like in Char- like the district of Charlottenburg, where you s- in the film we see M and Bond drive in the Mercedes Benz, and that's the sh- that's a shopping district, and that's a very clear picture of what West Berlin looks like, and East Berlin is where all the history and nightclubs and just like all the underground scene is. So you could still even there today, you can still see the clear divide of 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 where it was and how the historical part of what East and West, East and West was different. You can still see the difference today. Oh yes, absolutely. Cause like, uh, and I, and some of it I hear uh, is part of is something kind of drawn by the civil is more civilian, uh, initiatives in that, uh, in that for instance, Google tried to set up a headquarters in their European headquarters in Berlin because of the cheaper living costs. But then the c- citizens protested because 
we see we've seen what happened to San Francisco, like because of all all the tech companies came there, it just the city got completely gentrified and unaffordable to live in. So the citizens like protested or demonstrated heavily, and then mm. as a result, Google couldn't come there. So, and that's kind of like the vibe that a lot of Germans have. They kind of or not Germans, but Berliners have because Berlin in Berlin I saw a lot more expats there than actual Germans living there. And specifically on the eastern side, it's more people who are kind of like the nomadic, a lot more like nomadic and free free thinkers. And they're very like, I hate to say socialist, but they're very like anti-corporation people and whatnot. So they kind yeah. of like... I mean, so most of those people still have memories of it. They're still alive when that actually the wall was up. So it's got to be, a, it had to be a weird transition, especially for the ones that are alive today basically their whole lives before the wall happened was a different way and then the wall falls and now they have to learn a whole different way of of living so i'm sure that there's still a lot of uh, still a lot of uh, dichotomy of of trying to balance the new and the old oh yeah absolutely and i think berlin has done an overall great job of doing it because like the city's very well connected and no one's really disenfranchised but at the same time there's clearly a lot of remnants of the old and the new such as like the Stasi headquarters in one of the pictures I sent you, Stasi being the secret police for those, you know, and they used to spy on the locals, like through wiretapping. And one of the films that discusses that is a German film called The Lives of Others, which came out the same year as Casino Royale. So we got two great spy films in the year 2006. That's a good year, right? And, and then, but the Stasi headquarter is now a bank. In Ber- <laughs> is, is like the, is like a financial, is the financial district in Berlin, so... <laughs> that's so I guess a, a weird juxtaposition right I guess they're spying on us one way or another <laughs> <laughs> exactly so what was it like actually being at the wall what does it look like now uh Ber- it's I mean the wall stretches not just in Berlin but all across Germany but the portions that are uh Berlin it's not like just one place it's you know it got torn down so and a lot of great Graffiti artists have created great art art pieces there, such as the Social Fraternal Kiss, and that was a event I think around eighty three or eighty five. Correct me, correct my ears. Uh, it's when their East East Germany's leader Eric Honecker and um, Gorbachev shared a kiss, and then and at that moment, kind of people it kind of symbolized how connected East Germany was to the Soviets, and that mural is still there. Uh, Mr. Gorbachev, come over here. And pucko up. That's my best. Exactly. Ronald, that's my best Ronald Reagan impression. Oh, I'm glad you brought to that. And then you know, I went to the Brandenburg Gate, and Brandon around the Brandenburg Gate is where all the embassies are. So the U.S. embassy is literally right next to the Brandenburg Gate. And walk a couple blocks down, you see the British embassy, and that's where a lot of a uh, former British spies actually worked during the Cold War, such as John Le Carre. And that's where he that and as a result he wrote his book called The Spy Who Came from the Cold, which discusses the defections that occurred during the Cold War. So Brandenburg Gate, uh, if you have a look at it, there's a chariot on top of the gates, and the way you can tell whether you're on the eastern part or the western part of Berlin is you look at the chariot. So if you're facing the chariot's ass, then you're on the western part, <laughs> and if you're facing the chariot head on then you're in the eastern part so I, I know it's kind of sucks that the u.s has the ass the ass part but <laughs> i wonder if that was then, on purpose and then that well it was the gate was built like in the 1400 like 1600 so it's been around yeah. for centuries but so if you ever watched the 
famous 1987 speech, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall by Ronald Reagan. You could see above him, he's on the western side because you could see the horse's ass, the chariot's ass. <laughs> That's awesome. So one last question before we end here. So you're sitting in your room, Maude Adams and a group of octopussy, her whole gang comes in your room. Are you fighting them off or are you just letting them take you? I'm letting them take me. <laughs> I'll let uh, Mag- I'll let Magda take me first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Such a treat. I can't wait for talking to you more about these movies, talking to you more about history in the for- in the future. And thank you so much for being on, man. Uh, thanks for the invite, and I look forward to our friendship. Such a long time. Oh, this shit bliss. I'm so rich. Abs like Abercrombie Fitch. Thank you again, Jason, for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. Um, really great guest, really cool guy. You can follow him on Instagram at jasxon88. You can also hear him on the James Bond Complex, another podcast. It's a great listen. If you're not listening to that podcast, listen. They, they do amazing stuff. I just want to end this podcast just kind of pontificating about, not proselytizing about political, but I really want to talk about the fact that the Berlin Wall happened in my lifetime. And a lot of listeners that are listening to this podcast, they probably remember watching the news when Berlin was falling. It was in your lifetime. It was in a lot of people who are still alive. It was in their lifetime. This isn't some old, um, way centuries ago thing. This happened in our lifetime. And I'm watching this in America, this swell of socialism, which is just another name for communism. And I think back to historical times and I look back on the pictures and I look back and I read and I research these stories about how they literally needed moats, rabid wombats, alligators, electric fencing, huge concrete walls to keep people out of West Berlin, which was democratized, and keep people in a communist nation. Now, I hear a lot of times the argument that communism will work, but it just hasn't been implemented right. And I cannot more vehemently disagree with that. If you've ever done a group project for college, if you've ever done a group project for work, if it's five people, try to get five people to work evenly. What always happens in these group projects, you get one person who's basically the leader, you get one maybe a person that also does a lot of work and helps out, you get two people who do the bare minimum, and one person that does absolute jack shit on your project. And the two people who do all the work end up being pissed off at the other three who are not doing their part. And they all get the same grade. So why would the guy who works the hardest work really, really, really hard just so that the piece of shit doing nothing at the bottom gets the same grade as you do? And it's the same way with communism. There's no way. That's with five people. I challenge you to name a time when you've had five people collectively doing all the same amount of work. It doesn't work. It's not human nature. It's not feasible. It's not humanly possible. And then spread that out over 300 million people? No, of course not. It's never going to work. It's never going to work because it's not... It's not reality. And I see this today in this whole thought of the government giving everything away. If you've ever worked for the government, you know exactly how inefficient everything is. And the fact that you want to try to oppress or, or, or be anti-people who are creative, who are leading this country, who are leading the world. So I hear a lot of anti-rich people thing. And, and I get that there are, there are problems with those who lead the, the country and there are, are violations. And yeah, they're not the perfect people. But to think that you have to be anti the, the most brilliant, the most energetic, the most hardest working people in the world, 
No, you foster them. You, you encourage them because their successes will be your benefit. You're not going to be the one that's going to go work 21 hours a day, sacrifice your family, not talk to them, and then lead the world into greatness. No, that's not going to be everybody. That's going to be a very select few people. And those people need to be fostered and encouraged. I'm not the, I'm not the type of person who's like, ah, kill the rich, kill the rich, you know, take from them, oppress them, tax them, tax them, tax them. No, I want those people working so that I can enjoy the rest of my life. Because when I my salary's up, because those people are making money for the country, or they're bringing jobs, or they're bringing wealth, no, and foster them. Don't, don't try to oppress them or quell them. A recent story this week in California that's unfolding is that California legislators are trying to tell Elon Musk that he can't open his plant. And Elon Musk says, all right, well, I'm moving my plant to Texas. I'm moving out of California. And there's no manufacturing jobs left in California. And even the tech companies who are synonymous with California are trying to leave and go to Texas. And quite frankly, I'm okay with Tesla's going to tex- Tesla going to Texas because you know what? I want Tesla to drop about ten thousand dollars so that I can get one. But one of the one of the tweets from one of the county legislators in California was "fuck Elon Musk," "fuck Elon," somebody who's bringing jobs and prosperity and wealth to your county. You're gonna say "fuck you"? We don't need you. No, no. This this is why I find history so important. Is that we can read in our lifetime. We have it right here in our own lifetime. What happened? And people don't read it. People don't internalize it. Read and internalize history however you want. And if you want to be study it and you want to take your own uh, conclusion from what you read from what's happening, go ahead. My interpretation, and I find it so important, is that I read history and I learn from it and I try to internalize it. And I think that's what's so important about history. It's what separates it from other subjects is that you watch in history, it keeps repeating itself. That's the point. It's already happened. Why don't you learn from the things that have happened? And the Berlin Wall, I think, is a right there, visual. You see the pictures. You can watch YouTube video. You can see it unfold to yourself what the difference in the paradigms are. So that's how I just want to end it. I'm, you know, just not trying to proselytize, but just trying to pontificate, I guess. But there's one thing we can all agree on, between whether you're socialist, capitalist, democratic, nihilist, whatever you want it to be. The one thing, one thing that brings us all together is that boobs are great and we love boobs. Thank you guys for showing up today. Thank you guys for listening. This has been episode eight. This is Octopussy. Thank you so much for Jason Kim for coming on today. Uh, follow me on Quantum of History on Instagram. Subscribe to my podcast. And again, stay safe, avoid the Rona, and come back for episode nine, guys. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day.